0: All right, everybody, let's pause for a second. We'll pray together. God, I'm guessing there is someone in this room. The world is spinning and it feels mad. And they have found themselves in the valley of the shadow of death. They have found themselves under a dark cloud and it seems like there's no way out. So today, we're calling on you. We ask that you'd be our teacher today. You'd be our our inspirator, that you'd be the one who can reach past the fog to touch us so that we might... Have faith be reborn in us today. So we come to you just going to be as we are, just as we are, and there's going to be no pretension. And God, in the middle of this kind of transparency, we pray that you'd meet us, meet us with your word, with your transforming word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to dismiss now our older children to their learning, everyone. Again, I want to welcome you to AC3. So glad you're here. We're wrapping up this series uh, on uh, the, the painful D's, uh, and uh, we brought in a heavy hitter uh, to close this thing up, and uh, someone I'm just thrilled to introduce to you this morning. So how do I do this? this is, uh, I want to I keep this short, but uh, hard to do, because uh, Tim is someone I've known for a very long time. In the fall of 1985, it was my first year in college. And maybe some of you had this experience when you went from high school into college. You, I, I went from being a big fish in a little pond, and then suddenly I was a little fish in a big pond. I had been the all-star of a, of a youth group, and um, you know, suddenly I was surrounded by a bunch of Christian kids. that were all the all-stars of their youth groups, and I was kind of a nobody. And in the middle of this, there was one personality that was really standing out for his charisma, his charm, his public speaking ability his people skills, and just drew people around him, just a natural leader, and everybody loved him. Within um, a month, uh, he had been voted in uh, president of our freshman class and was uh, leading a bunch of future ministry uh, leaders. So that's really quite an accomplishment at uh, 19 years old. And there was a piece of me, I think maybe a little cynical, maybe jealous, I don't know, but you know, just wondering if it's all just shine and gloss on this guy or, or if there's substance there. And we happened to uh, be on the same dorm uh, floor, Main Men's 3 dormitory, uh, in Canadian Bible College. And I happened to be walking down the hall one day <coughs> and looked into Tim's room, and there he was having a conversation with another guy I knew, and just found myself drawn in. And that's kind of the way it was in the dorm. You just kind of plopped yourself down in a bed and just started uh, talking. And, and suddenly things got, uh, got to really, re- really cool and real places very quickly, and I just realized the depth and an authenticity, and a, and a ton of affinity. Both of us sons of Mennonites and, uh, you know, Canadians from the, from the prairies. In fact, our, our fathers grew up just a few miles from each other, even though he was raised in British Columbia, and I was raised in Manitoba. And um, that began what is now a 30-year friendship. And may God bless you with the kind of friendship that I have enjoyed with Tim. Um, uh, a kind of friend through thick and through thin, through uh, miles and miles of separation, where we could, you know, the kind, you know, the kind of friend where you can just pick up, like you just, you don't see them in six months, and suddenly you're right uh, back at uh, deep and, and, and authentic places, and you just, there's no, there's no downtime. You just take up where you left off, and that's kind of Tim. And if it wasn't for Tim, I I know that uh, my marriage, if it uh, would have survived at all, would have been entirely different than it is right now. Uh, because of that friendship, you guys who are here every week listening to me teach, uh, it flavors how I teach about Christian community and the need for trusted and authentic and real relationships in the body of Christ. The phrase, get real, get healed, has come out of my friendship with him because in the midst of Christian community there, and his depth of character has come transformation and healing and wonders, new character things in me. So um, Tim and I had a chance to uh, serve just a couple of miles apart from each other. He in Everett, and me in Smoky Point for a while. So we got to continue that relationship after college, and then uh, we both went into ministry. We started this church at a time when he moved over to Ontario, was a creative arts guy for seven years. Then he moved into uh, to Calgary, Alberta, and was a creative arts guy at a pretty big multi-site church there in Calgary for almost ten years, and then AC3. Then the bottom fell out. And the bottom fell out. And he's going to tell you more about that today. But here's the thing. What's so significant about that. It is at the moment when he felt like probably he had less to give. Less position. Less power. Less influence than he ever had. Because all these things were being taken away from him. Including his own health. that was the moment in my eyes. That he grew in gravitas. He grew in inspiration. He grew in character. And in love for God. And uh, his impact only expanded in my world. And so it's through the depth of that that he speaks. And everything that's going to come to you today comes through the lens of the depth of the suffering he's endured. And I think you're going to find it inspiring for your journey through painful situations. So would you please give a warm Allen Creek welcome to Tim Bergman.
1: Well, good morning. It's great to be here. Um, love Allen Creek Church. I've been a big fan of you guys for a lot of years. Been in and out over the years, and um, uh, super grateful for Rick and that friendship. I think when I came out of college, I got uh, my beautiful wife and my buddy Rick, and it was like, that was worth however much money I paid for that. So it's really great. So you guys have been having a real party around here for the last few weeks in your series. Disappointment, doubt, Yet, it's not often I get to speak at a church where for the previous three weeks they've been preaching through my resume, <laughs> so thank you so much for that. But it's true, I've known these D words very closely, and others like them, like depression and despair and discouragement, and I know I'm not alone. I know that suffering comes to all of us, and uh, some of you are here right now with this, um, this insane suffering going on inside your heart right now and those around you don't know because we have this amazing ability to keep it under wraps but there it is and if we could somehow uh you know lay them all out before us we'd be overwhelmed at the magnitude of the suffering that's being experienced and um yeah it it amazes me no one gets a buy on this suffering and it would be great if we didn't have to suffer some, so much. Sometimes I think that. It would be great. It would be great if we had like a, like a little app on our phone that could help us bypass suffering. You know, you got some emotional difficulties, you can avoid that. You got some, someone's going to sue you and you're going to lose everything, you can avoid that. Bowels giving you issues, you can avoid that. You know, it would be so great. But that doesn't quite exist. Um, in fact, so working through this sermon, the, uh, the kind of working title I had was, was this. Suffering, how you could be experiencing a lot more. But uh, I didn't know if that was all that motivational. But that's kind of where I was because, um, you know, I think we can experience a lot more in suffering. Now you might say, whoa, dude, uh, thank you very much. My my plate is full. I don't want any more. But there's actually all kinds of things we can experience in suffering. We can experience grief in suffering. And we can experience grace in suffering i like to experience a lot more grace. And we can experience bitterness in suffering, and we can experience blessing in suffering. And I would like to experience a lot more blessing. The reality is, though, I end up experiencing the things I don't want more than the things I do. Do you find this? I would like to experience the good things. I end up experiencing more of the bad things. So why is that? Let's call this Suffering. A bag of garbage is my symbol for suffering, and probably this tells you something about me, and it's, don't read too much into it, but let's just say this is suffering. Why is it that we end up experiencing more bad things than good things in suffering? Well, I think it has everything to do with a perspective. It has everything to do with perspective. So here's my big idea that I want to say today. I want to say that a proper perspective will allow you to experience more of the good and less of the bad, during times of suffering. You might say, I'll tell you what helped me experience less of the bad. Just take away the suffering. Solved. But we don't get that option often. But a proper perspective will allow us to experience more of the good and less of the bad during times of suffering. And so I want to look at this in a couple ways. I want to look at the book. a book in the. I want to tell you part of my story and uh, how God's fleshed this out in my life. But I also want to study a book uh, called Habakkuk in the Bible. Now you're saying there's no book called Habakkuk. Sounds like some Canadian hockey team or something. But actually it is. It's a fantastic book. And it's right near the end of the Old Testament. It's a short little book. And I'm going to have some verses on the screen and stuff. But um, it's just a beautiful book. One of my favorites. And uh, I love just meditating on this and thinking about it. But um, I'm going to give you a quick background of this book. It was written like 2,600 years ago. It was written by a guy who um, was going through a really rough time. Just like Some of the rough times we go through. And it's it's based like a conversation. And it kind of goes, it's between Habakkuk and God. And so Habakkuk says something, and then God says something. Then Habakkuk says something, then God says something, and then Habakkuk says something. That's the book. It's just a five-voice conversation kind of thing. And Habakkuk was going through a terrible, terrible time. I'm just going to give you a quick description of that. This is a rough description. But that little star on the map there, that's where Israel is. And uh, at this time, about 2,600 years ago, uh, uh, it was called Judah. There was two two of the twelve tribes made up the tribe. Made up the area of Judah there. To the north of Judah was a um, uh, sort of the big dogs of that time, the Assyrians, and they were tough, and they were taking over the world. Man, they were coming down. They were they were mean. They were cruel. They had no problem with domination, and uh, they were trying to take over Judah as well. And uh, uh, below them were the Egyptians. And the Egyptians uh, were kind of trying to do their own thing a little bit, but they were also power and Judah had to be aware of them too. On the east, uh, a new force was rising called the Babylonians. And rumors were coming that these guys were were also tough. Another big dog in the park. So the Assyrians are thinking, well, I don't want them to come and take over. We got to now sort of, we can't just ignore these guys. So they got to kind of muscle up and they turn their attention to the Assyrians. Okay, bring it, boys. Let's go. So these two guys are going at each other, which makes Judah really happy because now Assyria is focused on the Babylonians. They're not focused on Judah anymore. It's like, ha, ha, ha a break, finally. Now we can do our own thing again. Maybe those guys will just kill each other and, and we'll all be happy. Well, the Egyptians, they don't want the Assyrians to come either. And kind of like the enemy of your enemy is my friend. So they decide, hey, we'll join, we'll join Assyria and we'll go and we'll fight the Babylonians. Did I say that? They don't want Babylonians coming either. So they're going to join Assyria, and the two of them then will fight, they'll fight uh, Babylon, get rid of Babylon, and then go back to their happy lives. But Israel doesn't want this. Judah doesn't want this. So they go to stop Egypt, who kind of, you know, smacks them around and puts up a fake king in Judah. Okay, so now you have Judah. You've got you know, the bad Assyrians to the north of them. You've got the tough Egyptians to the south of them. And they've got this puppet king who's not godly in charge of them right now. So everything around them is awful. It's a bad situation. They're suffering. They're supposed to be a godly nation. They're not experiencing any of this. Okay? So this is what Habakkuk first says. This is a situation he calls out to God. In Habakkuk 1, verse 2, he says this. How long, O Lord... Must I call for help, then you do not listen, or cry out to you violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. All seems like a pretty good prayer, doesn't it? I mean, life is horrid, so you cry out to God for help. But I want you to look a little closer at this prayer, because I think we're going to see in this that there's there's a perspective issue going on here. He says, why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do I have to tolerate this? Why is there destruction and and violence before me? It's not like there had never, ever, ever been injustice or destruction or violence, ever. This was rampant in that day. But all of a sudden now, Habakkuk's having to see it. And he doesn't want to see it. And he has this idea that he has an a, a improper view of himself. Now, I've also shared this improper view of myself. And it's a view that comes when I think that uh, I deserve special treatment. I deserve special treatment. So I've got this view of myself that I deserve special treatment. And when it doesn't go my way, I am personally hurt and offended by this. And what I, here's what's interesting. This false view of myself can be weightier and greater even than the suffering. The suffering is bad. This can be even worse. In 1999, I went out for a run one morning. Uh, and you understand, I mean, I was, I was doing great in my job, in my career. It was woo, going higher and higher, up and to the right. And uh, I was enjoying it. And I um, went out for a run with the dog one morning. And I wasn't feeling... Very great. And uh, so I came home, tied the dog up, and I went inside, and I sat down I thought, oh, man, I don't feel good. And I had a fever. had a fever. Went to bed. And when I woke up, I couldn't move my legs. They were like they were paralyzed. And uh, fighting the high fever, we're going to the doctor trying to figure out what's going on. We found out that I had a strep infection that immediately attacked my kidneys. Lots of people have strep infections, and they don't attack their kidneys. Mine did. And I lost 40% of my kidneys in that one event. And um, I remember saying to God, I said, you you can't do this to me. This can't happen to me. Why is this happening to me? God, I'm special. I kind of like I thought God had this Polaroid picture of me in his hand. (laughs) And he just walked around and looked at it all the time. He just loved this picture of me. He's always thinking about me. And and you can kind of see how I might think this. Psalm 139 says this. Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. I mean, that's some pretty intense scrutiny, right? But what I forget is that God has infinite ability to focus. So, yes, he has a Polaroid of me, but he also has a Polaroid of you, and of you, and of of all of us. He has a Polaroid of North America. He has a Polaroid of the world. He sees them all equally at the same time. And this skewed view that I have of myself um, sets me apart from you. I knew that kidney disease existed, and I knew I had kidneys, so I was good with both those points. But I never lost sleep over kidney disease until it happened to me. And then it was a gross offense against my character, against me. And the only way I can fix this is to to think about what Paul says in Romans 8. He says, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment. And I had an amazing ability not to think of myself with sober judgment. Maybe you face that too. Maybe you're going through something right now and you cannot believe that this is happening to you. And you're saying, why me? Why does this me and not somebody else? Well, the Lord answers him. And I'm sure Habakkuk was hoping God would say, oh, shoot, sorry about that. Let me clean that up for you right now. And um, God has never been really good at the genie and the lamp gig. And uh, so this is what he says in, Romans, or in Habakkuk verse 1, verse 5 and 6. He says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your day that you would not believe, even if you were told, I'm raising up the Babylonians. Basically what he's saying is this. I have some good news and I have some bad news for you. The good news is those Assyrians that you're so worried and frustrated about, I'm going to get rid of them. Go on. You'll never think about them again. The Egyptians, I'm going to neutralize them. won't be a problem. And that vassal king that you don't like him, he'll be gone too. That's the good news. The bad news is I'm using the Babylonians, and they're ten times worse. See, God's, many times God's answers don't jive with what we're expecting. We're expecting God to do something and answer a certain way, and then he just doesn't. And then we have a brand new problem. Not only do we have a false perspective of ourselves, but we end up with this false uh, perspective of God. And we think to, that God has somehow changed who he was. He's supposed to be good. He's supposed to be kind. He's supposed to be loving. And, and now we're blown away because it doesn't seem like that. Listen to Habakkuk. What Habakkuk says. This is how he's blown out of the water. In verse 12, he says, Oh, Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my God. My Holy One, we will not die. Oh Lord, you, you have appointed them to execute judgment. O oh Rock, you have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Have you ever done this with God? Have you ever kind of said, Hey, God, maybe we should sit down and rethink your answer. Let me go over the rules again because, hey, everybody makes mistakes and, you know, that's fine, but let's just go over it and then I'm going to give you another shot. I'll give you one more shot to answer. We'll pretend like nothing happened and you can just answer my prayer again. Have you done this? I have done this. Yeah. One of us is wrong, God, and I think I know who it is. Well this view of God is messed up. We need a proper perspective. It's messed up because, you know, we he it's like we can't what we thought we could trust about him is gone. And then what do we do? I mean I prayed for healing. I prayed for it in 99. I prayed for it. I mean, I struggled with lots of things over the last years. With the kidney disease, uh, stress and anxiety disorder was part, whether that was with the kidney disease or that was just another little something we don't know yet. Depression, I struggled lots with depression. Lots of other physical ailments that came with the disease. And, um, and it's been a tough 15 years, the last four especially. You know, I, I, I kept praying for healing. I had the elders in my church pray for me. I had the elders in this church pray for me. I had old godly women praying for me. God is supposed to answer those people's prayers. And it was like nobody was minding the store. Like prayers weren't getting through. He wasn't listening. Or if he was listening, he was being, he was just, he was, had a handle like this to me, and he was making harder and harder and harder. I begged for healing, and I got worse. I begged him to let me keep my job. To provide for my family. To care for my children and my wife. To do the thing he called me to do. I begged him to let me keep my job. And I got terminated. I begged him to, to stand up for justice with the insurance company that wouldn't pay. That said, you're not sick. And I begged him for that. I said, God, they've got to come through. They've got to help us. And for three and a half years, they didn't. I Had to fight and fight and fight. I said, is this really how it's going to be? Really? I thought you were there for me. I thought we had a deal. You know, I give my life to you and you give me protection. Something like a mafia setup or something. You know? It was pretty simple. It was a simple little contract. And he wasn't going to do it. So I said, fine. If that's the way you want to play the game, I'm out. If you're going to change all the rules like this, I'm out. I can't be a part of this. I committed to a God who loved me, a God who was faithful, a God who was kind. And you're not that in my screwed up perspective of him. So I'm out. I remember I said to him, because what can you do with God? Really? Like you can't can't pin him down. You can't make him do stuff. So I said, if the only thing you want from me is my love, then that is the thing you are not going to get. And I shut down, turned off. And uh, this did not help me. He is the only one who can help me. And I wanted nothing to do with him. He said, cast your cares upon me because I care for you. And I said, no. He said, rest in my shadow. Dwell in my shelter. And I said, no. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. No. Thank you. I will carry it myself. And that weight, this false perspective of God... Was the greatest weight of all. The thing with the contract is that he never signed off on it. We have this contract and I get it all written up and everything, but he says, Whoa, 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 I know you're upset, boy. I never signed that contract. So look it, uh, Habakkuk throws this up to God. He's pretty angry, and God responds to him again. And again, I'm sure Habakkuk was hoping to say, oh, no, that's not the impression I wanted to give. Oh, gee, I'm sorry. Let me explain to you. Maybe I'll fix it up so you can, you can trust in me again. God answers the question, not that Habakkuk was asking, but maybe the one that Habakkuk should have been asking. And he says this in chapter 2, verse 2. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation. Make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end, and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. And God is answering another question, a question about time. A proper perspective of time. Habakkuk had been saying, this needs to change, and it needs to change now. And God is saying, it will change when the time is exactly right. There's two words in there that I've, I keep, that I wrestled with a lot. Though it linger, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. And linger and delay sound like the same word. They sound like this stop. I mean, no. That's what they sound like. No. That's what God is saying. That linger and delay are saying that same thing, but they're not. The band was playing a tune here, and they're playing, you know, the verse and the chorus and the verse and the bridge, and then the guitar solo. It's a really great moment in there. It's his favorite, favorite part of the whole song, the part where he gets to rip out the guitar solo, right? So, and, and he just loves it. So if the band starts off the song, and they're halfway through the first verse, and all of a sudden the guitar guy goes, hit the guitar solo, right now, everybody goes, whoa, you just wrecked the whole song. What? No, you have to wait for it. You have to linger until the right time and then you hit it. And if he delays and he comes at the end he's it's just too late for it, it will also wreck the song. He needs to play his favorite part at the right time. And God is playing a great tune. A great tune. Bigger than we'll ever understand. And at the right time, he will make everything perfect. Which means that if we're suffering... He knows this, and it's all part of, the, of his great, big, perfect plan. He's doing something way bigger than we could ever imagine. Think, think about a, like a linebacker for the Seahawks, okay? He's out there, makes a tackle, and he pulls his fingernail back. Ow, ow, goes to the sidelines, game's still going on. He's like, coach, coach Carroll, coach. And Coach Carl's like, um, I'm kind of doing something important right now. But my finger, Coach. And the Coach's like, look, seriously, dude, I'm, I'm working on a big plan that includes you and that will be for your benefit, will be for all of our benefit. It's a big plan. And right now, your fingernail uh, will have to just, you'll have to hold on for that for a little bit. I mean, could you imagine if the coach left everything to focus on this guy's fingernail? Right, he might call like a passing play on a one-yard line or something. Was that too soon? I don't know. I cried too, okay? I, I cried too on that day. So what am I saying? Am I saying that your, your depression or your anxiety or your marriage falling apart or your child into drugs or your body failing, am I saying that those things are nothing more than just a bent fingernail? Well, of course not. To, a, to the finger, a bent fingernail is, is ridiculously painful. It's all-consuming. But What I'm saying is what Paul said in Romans 8. He said, I am convinced that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. Paul is talking about a time issue. And our improper view of time says, I need something changed. I need it changed now. I said to God, God, you have to heal me now. You have to provide income now. You have to answer my prayers now. But he was doing something bigger and better. And he was trying to teach me that this life is not all that there is. This isn't the whole deal. And also, whatever chapter of your life that you find yourself in right now, it's not the final chapter. And when we're in suffering, boy, I tell you, and oh man, the last four years, I, you know, I knew my kidney was down at twenty-five percent, and they said, you know, well, I knew from, from ninety-nine. I have to keep getting sicker and sicker and sicker before I get better. I had to get down to four percent kidney function, which is pretty much dead, and they kept me alive on a machine. But you can't get a new kidney until you're that sick. So this is my this is my path I get to walk. You know, very clear. You're going to get worse. And um, and those were long, hard days. And we begin to think this is our life. This is our whole life. This is it. This all we worked for was for this. Unemployed and unemployable, and no future. And God said, No, no, no. That's not the way it is. Even with, the, even with Habakkuk, he says this very clearly to him. I mean, he sees the Babylonians come in, It's like, this is it. We've got this massive force coming from the east. It's over. And God says very clearly to him in verse 13 of chapter 2, Has not the Lord determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire? That the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? Why? Because the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's how it will end. The earth will be filled. God will win. He sees our struggle. He sees our pain and our suffering. He goes, this isn't the final chapter. In fact, there will come a day when he'll wipe away every tear from our eyes. There'll be no more death, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering. He will make everything new. This, friends, is the true view of time. And when we get this true view, this true perspective of time... We can be filled with hope. You know, I think there'll come a day when I'll stand on the threshold of the new age, eternity with God, and this age, which is mortal. And I'll stand on that threshold, and I will, maybe this will happen, who knows, I don't know. I'll look down eternity of no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, no more death, Trillions and trillions and trillions of years of this. And maybe God will give me a quick opportunity to glance back just for a second at this life. At the 49 at least, maybe 50, maybe 70 years of my life here of the suffering. And I think I will say, I could have handled a bit more suffering. And I bet you I could have handled whatever suffering I had better knowing that it's just this compared to forever, I probably could have handled it better. So this proper perspective of time actually helps me. If you imagine this is a scale, and all that weight was on this side of the scale, overwhelming. The proper perspective of time suddenly goes to this side of the scale, starts working for me. The proper perspective of my God of a God who loves me, of a God who doesn't change on this side of the scale. And you say, yeah, but does he understand physical suffering? They began to spit on him. They covered his eyes and struck him with their fists, and the guards led him away and beat him, and they nailed him to a cross. Well, does he understand relational suffering? Betrayal? They all deserted him and fled. What about emotional suffering? Does he understand that? In the Garden of Gethsemane, he fell to the ground and prayed, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. What about spiritual suffering and confusion? Did he have any issues with that? As he hung on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knows it, friend. He's been there. He understands he feels that same pain. He's not forgotten you. You are not an orphan. And when I stand this view of myself, that I'm not so special. That when my marriage is in trouble, I'm not the only one. Other people have issues like that. If, my, if I have a loved one that's addicted to drugs or alcohol, I'm not the only one. There are others. If I'm suffering physically, I'm not the only one. We're in this together. Then all of a sudden, all of these things are on this side of the scale. And all that's left, and it's real, but all that's left is the suffering. Suddenly I got strength and hope to move through it. And Habakkuk does this as well. He doesn't ignore this. It says in verse 3, verse 16, he says, I heard. You know, on the suffering. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quavered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. So there's this very real, it doesn't mean that we're all just happy. If, if suffering doesn't hurt, it's not suffering. That's how it gets the name. But then he goes on and says in verse 17, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines. Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food though there are no sheep in the pen or cattle in the stalls yet i will rejoice in the lord i'll be joyful in god my savior how can he do this because the sovereign lord is my strength he makes my feet like the feet of a deer he enables me to go on the heights so now, whether suffering exists or whether it doesn't exist, it's not the defining factor of our lives because it will exist. No one gets to buy. But the perspective of God and ourself and of time lets us experience blessing and grace and growth and health, even in suffering. I did some journaling uh, when I was at my, in those dark times and I, just, I guess I tried to, to sketch down some of the things I felt God was whispering to me. So let me just share a few of them. Because I want to show you how this, this is how it played out for Habakkuk. I want to kind of show you how it played out in my life. No matter how bad it gets, there are always others who have it worse. No matter how little we have, there's always enough to share. The love of God, the love of my wife, and the love of family and friends means that the scales are still tipped ridiculously in my favor. People say, oh, man, it's so hard for you. And I'm like, crying out loud, it is still tipped ridiculously in my favor. Yes, this load is hard. All that pain and suffering and sorrow, it is a heavy load. But compared to, the scales are still tipped ridiculously in my favor. There's still lots of beauty to be discovered. Sometimes we, just, we think everything is awful. no. There's still lots of beauty to be discovered. Life is still quite funny. The ensuing quietness from being taken out of the race is actually quite lovely. Questioning God does not put his love for me at risk. It's okay. He didn't stop loving Habakkuk. He didn't stop loving me. He won't stop loving you. Misunderstanding God's kindness does not stop God's kindness. And abiding with Christ has a whole lot more to do with Christ abiding with me. He's tenacious, friends. He will not leave you. You can shove him away as hard as you want and he will keep pursuing you because he loves you so very, very much. I just want to pray for you. You know what? You may be prayed lots for suffering, things you're going through. And if you would like me to just remember you before God, then I just ask you to, again, just, just raise your hand, and when I pray, I'll just, I'll ask God to see your prayer. I don't know what you're suffering, I don't know your name, but God knows it all very clearly. So if you'd like me to remember you, then just raise your hand. I'd love to pray for you. Okay, thank you. Thank you. God sees you. God knows. Yep. You're not forgotten. Yeah. You're not an orphan. Your Father is right near you. Lord Jesus, we come to you with heavy hearts and and light hearts. There's a combination. There's some crazy combination because though the load of suffering is heavy, uh, there is truth to your faithfulness. In that verse, that has meant so much to me. I will be with him in times of trouble. And you are with us. You are Emmanuel, God with us. And, Lord, I pray for these today who've raised their hands. Um, I ask, Lord, that they would sense your presence like, like they've never sensed it before, not because they deserve it. We don't deserve all your kindness. I mean, you're just reckless and generous in your kindness. So I pray that there would be a flicker of hope for them today. Lord, I thank you that you've adopted us, that we are not orphans, we are not alone, And so we we hold on to you, and we are grateful that you have a master plan and that you're going to take us right to the very end, where your glory will be over the earth as the waters cover the sea. In Jesus' name, amen.